On the 27th of April 1993, a Zambian military plane crashed in the Atlantic Ocean shortly after taking off from Libreville in Gabon. All the passengers were killed, including 18 players from the Zambian national team. It was a horrific tragedy for Zambian football and for the Zambian nation. One of Africa's most promising teams never got to fulfil its potential. In this edition of World Cup Rambling, I'm going to look back at Zambia's campaign to reach USA 94. Welcome to Zambia, the lost team. Kenneth Kaunda had been the president of Zambia from 1964 to 1991, leading the country into its new era of independence. Zambia had been under British rule as Northern Rhodesia. Kaunda had been a massive promoter of football in Zambia, and the national team was sometimes known as the KK11. Chipolo Polo, Copper Bullets, is another nickname that the team had. Zambia's best performance had come at the African Cup of Nations in 1974 when they reached the final and lost to Zaire in a replay. This is the Zaire team that would go to the World Cup later that year in West Germany. Another good performance for Zambia was in AFCON in 1982 when they finished third, losing in the semi-finals to Libya before beating Algeria to take third place. And this was a full-strength Algeria team with Maidair and Baloumi, those guys. And this was the Algeria team that would beat West Germany in the Spain World Cup that summer, before being infamously eliminated by the German-Austrian farce. The earliest sign that Zambia were developing a golden generation came at the 1988 Olympics in Seoul. The regulations for football were that teams from outside Europe and South America, so the two dominant continents, weren't allowed to field players who had played in the World Cup. The other continents had a free hand, so this meant that the Olympics was a great opportunity for a country like Zambia to showcase its best talent at international level. The Zambians were placed in a group with Iraq, Italy and Guatemala. Zambia kicked off their campaign with a 2-2 draw against Iraq. Next up was Italy, and this was a strong Italian team. They had Stefano Tacconi, the Juventus goalkeeper, Mauro Tussati, the AC Milan right-back, who was on the verge of winning back-to-back European Cups. There was also Luigi Diagostini, the Juventus fullback, who would be part of the Italian 90 squad. And they also had Ciro Ferrara, the Napoli centre-back, and Andrea Carnavale, the Napoli centre-forward, so two of Maradona's club colleagues. In one of the most striking results in the history of the Olympic football tournament, Zambia won 4-0. The star of the show was Kalusha Buelia, who scored a hat-trick. Kalusha was the star of Zambian football in that era, African Football of the Year for 1988, and he was playing for Serk Bruges before he got a move to PSV Eindhoven. And this was at a time when African footballers in Europe were a rare breed, so that shows you how much he stood out. And he would go on to win back-to-back Dutch league titles under the management of Bobby Robson. Against the Italians, Kalusha scored with a low left-foot shot that Tacconi got a hand to but couldn't keep out. His second goal was a free kick that caught Tacconi out at the near post. 
Kalusha's hat-trick goal came after he received a killer pass and then he just virtually strolled into the penalty area before scoring. He was a really versatile forward, like popping up in both flanks and also doing damage in the middle. Zambia followed this result up with another 4-0 win, this time against Guatemala. So the Zambians went through to the quarterfinals as group winners and there they ran into West Germany. Even at Olympic level, the West Germans had no time for fairy tales, winning 4-0 with a hat-trick from Jürgen Klinsmann. Nevertheless, Zambia had made a significant mark. Kalusha finished joint second in the scoring charts for, for the 1988 Olympics, with only Romario of Brazil ahead of him. After this, uh, Zambia lost out to Nigeria in the semi-finals of the 1990 AFCON and asked for the Italian 90 World Cup. The Zambians failed to make it through to the final round of qualification for the measly two African places. For the 1994 competition, FIFA had deigned to give Africa three places. I've talked a lot about Kalusha, but this Zambia team was regarded as a golden generation. So here's some information about some of the other players. There was Derby Mikinka, a creative midfielder who played club football in the Soviet Union and later on in Poland. They also had Wisdom Chansa, a versatile player who could play in midfield and in attack. And he was one of the heroes of the 88 Olympics and a key man for Power Dynamos, who were one of the leading Zambian clubs. In 1991, Power Dynamos won the African Cup Winners' Cup, which demonstrated that Zambian football was becoming a force on the continent. By the time of the plane crash, Chancellor was playing for another club called Dynamos, this time in South Africa. And Alex Forbes, who was Chancellor's coach at Dynamos, said he was one hell of a player. I wish I'd signed him earlier. Zambia also had another Bralia, um, Johnson Bralia, and he was the scorer of the other goal against Italy. Johnson built a club career from, for himself around various clubs in Switzerland. He fell out of international reckoning for a few years, but then he came back into contention for the USA 94 qualifiers. Charles Musonda was another great midfielder from this vintage, and he had a long club career at Anderlecht. His son, Charlie Musonda, is, I think he's currently on the books at Chelsea, but I don't think he's seen much action. David Efford Chabala, the goalkeeper, he had been in the Zambian team since 1983 and he would go on to win over 100 caps and he's regarded as Zambia's best ever goalkeeper. He had a brief spell in Argentinian football when he played for Argentinos Juniors in 91-92 but things didn't work out for him there. For USA 94, the African qualification competition featured two rounds. The first round had nine groups and the nine group winners would go forward into the second round to form three groups of three and the winners of these three groups would qualify for USA 94. For the first round, Zambia were in a group with Madagascar, Namibia and Tanzania. Tanzania would withdraw from the competition towards the end of this group stage. I wasn't able to find a reason for this but if anyone knows they can um, leave a comment. So this meant that Zambia's results against Tanzania would be annulled, you know, null and void. Leaving aside those Tanzania games, Zambia got a 4-0 win away to Namibia, with all the goals coming in the first half. Moses Chikwalakwala scored twice. His first goal was a thumping volley from inside the box, and his second was an effort that drifted over the goalkeeper's head from the right. It looks on replay like the ball bobbles up and that allows him to get under it and it might have just been an overhead cross. 
Calvin Mutale also scored two, a free kick that was knocked sideways and he drilled it through the disintegrating Namibian wall. And then Mutale's second was a poacher's effort after the goalkeeper spilled the ball in the six-yard box. Zambia's next qualifier was a few days before Christmas in 1982. No synchronised calendar here. They were away to Madagascar. I wasn't able to find any footage of this match, but it was a 2-0 defeat for the Zambians. And this game spelled the end for Samuel Nluvu, the Zambian manager. Nluvu is an iconic figure in Zambian football. Asked the leading striker at Mufalira Wanderers. Wanderers is the English legacy. He had spearheaded their dominance of Zambian club football. He'd emerged as a player in the old days of Northern Rhodesia before becoming the key man for the Wanderers as they swept up league title after league title and won a load of cups. The peak was 1965-67 to when the Wanderers won the league three years running. He became their player manager at a very young age. Like, you know, he didn't just have the job tacked on to the end of his playing career. So that kind of shows you the leadership qualities he had and the respect he commanded. So in the 90s, Nluvu had been on a sticky wicket after AFCON 92 when Zambia lost in the quarterfinals. The Zambian FA had been trying to get Jochen Figa, a German coach, into the national setup. Figa was one of those coaches who had like, made his career coaching and managing around the, um, the so-called third world. And Louvu resigned after AFCON, only to come back when the new management structure, which included Figa, didn't work out. But the Mad- Madagascar defeat prompted the Zambian FA to give Louvu the old Spanish archer, Elbow. Moses Samwala took over the team, and he was another legendary figure in Zambian football. He won eight league titles as the manager of Incana FC. I'd love to see where he ranks on the global list of managers by number of league titles. Like, Samwala was the obvious choice to become the national manager. However, he was struck down by illness, meaning that he didn't actually take charge of a match. So that's one for World Cup trivia buffs, a manager who took over in the middle of qualifying but didn't actually manage the game. Tragically, Simwala died in September 1993, so his death put a grim seal on an appalling year for Zambian football. Simwala's illness meant that the manager's job was given to Godfrey Chitalu. Chitalu is basically the Pele of Zambian football. He scored 79 international goals. I'm not sure his exact number of caps because some sources have said 108 and some say 111. But either way, he was an absolute goal machine. And he always seemed to like score a hat-trick against Uganda as well for some reason. Chitalu gained like a minor bit of public attention in 2012. You'll remember when Messi set the so-called calendar year record, as if that's actually a thing, with 91 goals. And he was credited, Messi was credited with breaking Gerd Muller's record of 85 from 1972. However, the Zambian FA announced that Chitalu had scored 107 goals in 1972. And there is actually a photo from the 70s of Chitalu holding a ball with his name and 107 goals like written on it. And there was this painstaking combing of match reports and newspaper articles, which were eventually compiled into a book by Jerry Muchimba. FIFA agreed with me saying that the whole calendar year thing is a load of bollocks. This is like a statement from a FIFA spokesperson at the time. 
It's not an official record. It's the sort of data fans and media like to see. It's a record where someone in the media collected statistics from somewhere and noticed Messi was about to pass that record. So anyway, Chitali got the Zambia job and there were two games left, home to Namibia and home to Madagascar. Chitali made a good start with a 4-0 win over in Namibia. This left Zambia and Madagascar in a straight sort of shootout for the one place in the final group. Zambia had to win the game and Madagascar needed only a draw. Madagascar hadn't conceded a goal yet and had already beaten Zambia in the group. So Zambia's task wasn't necessarily going to be easy. But in the event, Zambia were 3-0 up by the 70th minute. Although Madagascar got a goal back in the 82nd minute. I wasn't able to find any footage of these last two games, which is a shame, because it would have been great to see if Madagascar had just set their stall out to defend, and whether Zambia just came charging all out for the victory. So Zambia won this group on goal difference. This was February 1993. I'm not sure when the draw for the second round group stage was actually made. The nine group winners were divided into three groups of three, and Zambia were put in with Morocco and Senegal. And they just play each other home and away and the winner goes through to USA 94. Morocco and Senegal opened proceedings on the 18th of April 93 and Morocco won 1-0. On the 25th of April, Zambia beat Mauritius and this was in an AFCON qualifier. Kelvin Mitali scored a hat-trick and Kalusha wasn't playing. He was still with PSV Eindhoven and he was due to fly from the Netherlands to meet up with his teammates in Senegal for the World Cup qualifier. The fact that he was playing abroad and he was excused from that AFCON game with Mauritius, that actually saved his life. The Zambian FA used military planes because they couldn't afford to put the players on a commercial flight. So on the 27th of April 1993, the planes stopped off in Libreville, the capital of Gabon. They stopped to refuel before taking off again. There's been such a long-running inquiry and claim and counterclaim trying to get to the truth of what happened next. So what I'm going to do is have a brief look at that before going into the football consequences of the plane crash. An official report was published in 2003, 10 years after the crash, and that sort of delay angered many Zambians. The crash was attributed to a faulty left engine and... The report said that the pilot, who was tired after a previous flight, accidentally shut off the the functioning right engine, causing the plane to plummet into the Atlantic Ocean, just off the Gabonese coast. Kalusha actually recalled that some of his teammates had been worried for, for a while about the state of that airplane. Relations between Zambia and Gabon were damaged, with both governments seeking to pass the buck. And a load of questions arose, like why was the plane allowed to leave Zambia in the first place? Why was the plane allowed to take off again after it was checked in Gabon? You know, why was the tired pilot put in charge? At the time, there was also a theory that the Gabon Air Air Force shot the plane down in error. As of 2013, when there was a short documentary made about the crash, Joyce Chabala, the widow of the goalkeeper, wanted to know why the plane, an 18-year-old aircraft with a history of technical issues, had been used and why were parts of the report kept secret. I haven't been able to find any, like if there's been any sort of advancement in answering those questions. So if anyone has like any articles or links to further developments, you can just contact me, leave a comment, whatever. This was an absolutely devastating tragedy for Zambia. 18 players had died. The legendary Chitalu, who was managing the team, he had also died. 
You always hear that phrase, a nation in mourning, and this is a really vivid way to describe this. It was such a cruel thing to happen. A country that size, with limited resources, might only ever get one great set of players. Zambia had, had those players, and then it was all taken away in the most devastating manner possible. The sense of loss was mixed with a sense of anger and bitterness. Zambian officials took a while to announce the news, meaning that reports of the crash were already going around in Europe at a time when the families were still in the dark. And I actually remember coming home from school that afternoon and my mum actually telling me she'd seen it on the BBC. By contrast, Zambian TV and radio didn't report the tragedy until that evening. Kaunda, who had left the presidency a couple of years before, he said, I knew all those boys by name. We had worked together for a long time. It was indescribable. I couldn't believe it at all. Kawinda's successor, um, President Frederick Chibula, said, I am stunned and shattered by this national tragedy. Fate has robbed our country of its finest football heroes. Dipak Patel, the sports minister, said, We have lost a whole generation of footballers just when we had a close chance of going to the World Cup. Kalusha, who was back in the Netherlands and he'd been spared by the hand of fate, he remembered the night it happened and he said, From 12 to 6, the phone never stopped ringing and I didn't even have time to cry, but I think about the boys all the time. Dennis Lewewe, who was like a legendary Zambian football commentator, he remembered his son coming, in, coming into the bedroom and telling him the national team's planes crashed. An emotional Lewewe went on TV later that day to pay tribute to the team. The scenes were gut-wrenching. You had the coffins leaving Gabon and coming back to Zambia. Men, women and children in tears. Floral tributes. Graves being dug near the national stadium. President Chibula addressing the cries at the funeral. For a lot of Zambians, just seeing that row of coffins really brought it home the scale of what had happened. I mentioned Lewewe's emotional tribute to the Zambia team and in the midst of his soliloquy he said that Zambia had to find a way to carry on and here's the quote Their death would be meaningless if we give up. We don't give up in Zambia. We have to go. We have to go on. Kalusha thought it was a lost cause but the president and the people said that the Zambian national team had to find some way of carrying on just to honour their dead. Kalusha... Johnson and Musonda hadn't been on the flight, so the new team was going to have to be built around them. Providentially, Musonda had actually been recovering from knee surgery in Belgium, which is what saved his life. And then Johnson, like Kalusha, had also made alternative arrangements to get from Europe to Senegal for the match. The Zambian league was scarred for new blood, and other players who had fallen out of reckoning were recalled, so a new Zambian team was put together. You always hear that thing about the inverted commas football family, which it kind of sometimes rings hollow, but it really kind of came out strongly in this case. There was an outpouring of goodwill towards the Zambians. The Danish FA lent coaching support and facilities. A new manager was put in charge. They went for Ian Porterfield, the Scottish guy who had just been sacked by Chelsea. The first managerial sacking of the Premier League era. So that's Chelsea starting as they meant to go on. Porterfield's most famous for scoring Sunderland's winning goal against Leeds in the 1973 Cup Final. And when he died of cancer in 2007, at the age of just 61, the Zambian FA president said, He was a gallant man whose achievement in the history of our football cannot be erased. So let's actually look at Zambia's achievements under Porterfield. You might assume, naturally, that the mental trauma, the psychological burden 
the emotional journey would have been too much for this reconstituted Zambia team. And then add in the fact that most of these new new players were players who weren't deemed good enough to be in the national team in the first place. But this is where the story takes on like really sort of miraculous proportions. I mean, that's the really the only way to describe it. So in July 1993, 10 weeks after the tragedy, Zambia were ready to continue their World Cup qualifying campaign with a home game against Morocco. There was a mass sense of like national fervour and a desperation to see the new boys do well. And fans were flocking around the stadium hours before kickoff. And the stadium was packed out. There was a banner saying, let's show them how it's done, boys. The spirit lives on. I doubt there's ever been a more intense, emotionally charged atmosphere at a World Cup qualifier. The bubble was burst after 11 minutes when Morocco went ahead with a long-range shot from Doughty. And at that stage, there was probably a lot of people fearing for the team of novices. However, Kalusha scored directly from a free kick on the arm mark to make it one all. And then seven minutes later, Johnson put Zambia in ahead. Amazingly, this team of novices, inspired by its overseas-based stars, won the game 2-1. Zambia then followed us up by beating South Africa in an AFCON qualifier and then drawing 1-1 with Zimbabwe again in an AFCON qualifier. At the start of August, Zambia finally made it to Dakar to play Senegal. That was a journey that the 18 started but never completed. This would have been so emotionally difficult, but the Zambians were still able to come away with a goalless draw. Senegal had already lost twice to Morocco, so USA 94 qualification was going to be between Zambia and Morocco. Before that, Zambia had the home game with Senegal, and again it was a packed house at the Independence Stadium in Lusaka. Gibby and Basila opened the scoring for Zambia with a tap-in after 11 minutes. Mbasela had been a Zambian international before, but he hadn't been in the squad for the fateful flight. Elijah Latana came up from the back and scored after a mix-up in the Senegal defence. And then Kenneth Malatoli made a 3-0 before Kalusha added the fourth. So amazingly, after everything that had happened, Zambia only needed a draw with Morocco to fulfil the mission that had been tragically cut short. And that's what was so remarkable about the, like, the reformed Zambia team. They came straight in, picked up where the fallen team left off and barely missed a step. Zambia, through tragic circumstances, have been forced to use two teams effectively during the qualification, and both teams were equally good. So maybe the talent pool in Zambian football ran deeper than anyone had assumed. In October 1993, Zambia went to Casablanca in search of the point against Morocco that would take them through to USA 94. This Morocco team had that midfielder Mustafa Hadji who ended up at Coventry City and then Aston Villa and they also had Nuruddin Naibet the defender who won La Liga with Deportivo La Coruña before washing up at Spurs when Jacques Santini was the manager so that tells you all you need to know about how Naibet's career went after he left Spain in the second half of this decisive game, Morocco attacked on the left and a cross came in for, for Legrisi who put Morocco 1-0 up James Perry, the Zambian goalkeeper, pulled off a spectacular flying save from Doughty's long-range shot and then the resulting corner was back-flicked off the line as Morocco tried to get a second. Perry's another one who went before his time. He died of cancer at the age of 32 in 2001. Zambia tried for the equaliser that would have taken him through to the World Cup but Morocco stood firm and they actually had the better chances. So in the end, Morocco won 1-0 and were through to the World Cup. Zambia's dream was over, but 
out of the tragedy they had fashioned one of the World Cup's all-time great stories, coming within that one equalising goal of reaching USA 94. This is a monumental achievement given how Zambian football had been on its knees after losing the golden generation. The story did not end in Casablanca. The following year they went to AFCON 94 and they got all the way to the final before losing 2-1 to Nigeria and this was the mighty Nigerian team that would come within seconds of knocking Italy out of the World Cup in, in 94. You know, Yakini, Amokachi, Amaniki, JJ Okocha, Ulisse, Fanini George, all those guys. And then in 1996 Zambia were AFCON semi-finalists losing to Tunisia before getting the bronze medal by beating Ghana. If only the tragedy hadn't happened, who knows what Zambia could have achieved with their golden generation and the best players from this new team to back them up. As a postscript, in 2012, AFCON was hosted between Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. This meant a return to Libreville for Zambia after they went all the way to the final. The squad visited the crash site to pay their respects to the 1993 team and then they beat Ivory Coast in a nerve-shedding penalty shootout to claim their first AFCON title. It was one of the most popular victories ever in a sporting event, a trophy to honour the memory of their predecessors. The emotional scenes of celebration were something to behold, with Herve Renard, their uh, matinee idol manager, carrying the injured captain Joseph Masonda onto the pitch to join the celebrations. The only thing remaining is for Zambia to qualify for the World Cup and when they do, that'll be one of the greatest moments in the history of the competition. A wonderful tribute to those who died in the plane crash of April Subscribe to World Cup Rambling on your podcast platform.